So let's look at what the word apocalypse means. It means a cataclysmic event, the end of the world. And uh, so that's, that's kind of why uh, the character in the movie is named that. Uh, you know, it kinda, that's what it looks like is happening. This is going to be the end of the world. But you know what? It's not the end of the world. We know that, right? It's not the, even the end of the X-Men world. I meant the movie, even at the end. We know it's setting up for the next one. This is not the last movie. This is not the last time they want us to buy a ticket, right? This is not going to be the end. We know that somehow it's all going to work out. You know what? We personally, as Christians, we also need to get the same attitude. You, you go to the movie. When you go to this movie, you're going to know it's going to work out, right? As Christians, we should have the very same confidence. We know it's going to work out. You know, this, like this movie, it's not the apocalypse. It's not the end of the world, not even for the X-Men. And it's not the end of your world. And some of you are facing situations. Some of you right now, you're facing what you think are end of the world situations. Come on. We do that from time to time. We face situations we don't know how, and maybe it's not the end of all of your world. Maybe it's just the end of some of your world. There are three couples, and you've heard us say, if you've been around here a long time, that, that, that God has, has rescued and healed marriages at 29-11. There are three couples that regularly attend this church you know, that uh, I haven't seen all of them today, but I, I assume they're, they're all here. None of them in the first service, they, they normally come to the, the second service, but I, I, don't, I don't know if they're here today or not. There are three couples that they are only married today because of God intervening in their marriage in the last six months. And I say in the last six months. And I mean by the way God moved through 2911, through small groups, through the prayer team. I mean, very specific things that God, and I don't mean that they've just had, uh, you know, arguments or they've had issues or things. I mean, they were at the place of the end of their marriage world and God has healed their marriage and they're still together today because of what God has done. So you're looking at, you know, you're maybe end of the world area of your life of what's about to end. You're looking at that, and, and maybe, maybe you're like, you know, you, if you were in the movie, you know, if you were actually the, character, the fictional character, you might be thinking that it was over. But you and I, we already know. We know they've got to write another, write another script and make another movie and sell some more tickets. We know it's not the last X-Men movie. In the same way, you and I, we ought to know that this, no matter what it is you're going through, it is not the end of the world. Because one of the things, one of the things, one of the things we've got to do, okay, this is the very first off, the very first thing you've got to do is you have to settle this question in your mind, whether or not God is truly in control. Okay, you need to settle that very first. Decide if, if you believe, if you believe that God's in control, you know, you can't decide whether he is or not, you can decide what you believe about it. And you have to decide that. You, you have to make that decision. And some of you may have not made that decision yet. Or maybe you think you've made that decision, but you're not quite living it that way. You need to make that decision. Is God really who he says he is? Is he really sitting on the throne? Is he really in control? Because if you don't make that decision, you see, uh, Apocalypse, the, the bad guy in the video you just watched, he awakens, and when he awakens, he, he begins recruiting a team, and, and he recruits his, his four-man four team, and man and lady team. And, and you know where he recruits them from? He recruits those who were disillusioned, who were disheartened, discouraged. 
And see, you, you need to be careful that you don't allow yourself, if you're facing an end of the world situation, maybe a, an end of a relationship situation, or an end of your financial situation, or an end of a job situation, an end of the world situation, if you're facing one of those, you need to make sure you don't get discouraged, that you don't, don't get dis, disheartened or, or disillusioned, because those are the ones that Satan preys on. In first. Peter chapter 5 verse 8 he says be alert and of sober mind your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour now you ever think about how a lion attacks you know uh, you know a, a herd of antelope or something he doesn't go after the fastest antelope he looks for one that's wounded he looks for one with a limp. He looks for one that had a bad night last night, you know, and he's running a little bit slower than everybody else. He's looking for one who's gotten discouraged. He's looking for one who's gotten distracted. He's looking for one who's been disillusioned. He's looking for one who, who isn't thinking about what's really important today, got his mind on other things or whatever. He's looking for those. And that's why you can't, like the lion Satan is, you can't allow yourself to become distracted, disheartened, discouraged, disillusioned, any of those D-I-S words. You can't allow yourself because that's, that's what's going to make you the next prey that Satan comes after to devour, not, not to just mess up your day. But you talk about the end of the world, the end of the world for you is only going to happen if you become disillusioned and allow the enemy to overtake you. You got to make up your mind. Who, who is in charge of this thing? Who is on the throne? Who is in control? Rabbi Zacharias uh, told a, uh, it's a parable, an old Middle Eastern parable in one of his sermons that I heard. And the parable goes something like this. There was a farmer who had a horse and his horse one day was missing, ran off, got out, something was missing. His neighbor who came by every day Came by that day, found out the horse was missing, said, oh, 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 what, what, what a tragedy. What a tragedy that you've lost your horse, your one horse. And the farmer said, I don't know if it's tragedy or not. I'm not God. What do I know about such things? So the next day, guess what? The horse comes back. But he brings back with him 12 other horses. So now the farmer, he's got, he's got 13 horses instead of one. The neighbor comes back by, sees what's going on, and says, oh my goodness, how blessed you are, how blessed you are. You, you only have one, now you have 13. And the farmer said, I don't know if it's a blessing or not. I'm not God. Who am I to tell about such things? So the next day, these 12 horses are wild, and so the farmer's son, he begins to work with them and try to break them so that they can actually ride them and use them. And as he's trying to break one of the horses, it throws him off and it breaks his leg. So you know what happens, right? The neighbor comes back by, right? The neighbor comes back by and he says, oh, oh my goodness, oh, what tragedy. I, I don't know about you, but I can just kind of hear this in a, a Middle Eastern accent, you know, or something, you know. Oh, what tragedy, what tragedy. And the farmer says, I don't know if it's tragedy yet or not. I'm not God. Who am I to tell about such things? And so the next day, one of the local gangs comes by. G-A-N-G-S, gangs, Yeah. And they are recruiting, force recruiting. They are taking young men and forcing them to become a part of the gang. When they get to this farmer's uh, house, they find out that his son has got a broke leg. So you know what? They don't want him. So they just leave. The neighbor comes by, finds out what's going on, and he says, oh my goodness, what a blessing it was that your son had a broke leg. You know what the farmer says? You know what he says by now, right? 
I don't know if it's a blessing yet or not. I'm not God. Who am I to tell about such things? You know, this verse up here, this verse up here uh, says, be of sober mind. I, I like that. The King James Version says, be vigilant, alert, but a be of sober mind. Sober. You know what the opposite of sober is, right? Drunk. You ever been around a drunk person? Anybody, anybody ever been around a drunk person? Okay, don't point any fingers right now, okay? You know, but you ever been around a drunk person? And, and their, their emotions are like this, right? Up and down and up and down, and up, right? I mean, one moment, oh, you're my best friend. I just love you so much. And the next moment, I don't know why anybody would want to be a friend with me. You know, just back and forth, up and down and up and down. There's a lot of Christians like that. In the parable that Rabbi Zacharias told, would you, be, would you have the attitude of the farmer or the neighbor? Most of us, come on, come on, let's be true. Most of us Christians, we have the attitude of the neighbor. Every day, it's like this or this, this or this, this or this. It's like whichever, whichever, whichever. You know, one day, we're blessed. You know, we come to church, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Sometimes we lie about it, right? You know, and then the next day, we have 15 minutes with the boss. You know, oh, it's tragic. Oh, I, I don't know why the whole world's got to be on my shoulder. Or you miss a deadline or, you know, or something. Like, or you get a bill in the mail that you weren't expecting. And all of a sudden, the blessed that you were is gone. Come on. Amen. That's how we are. I mean, we're not that. But can I tell you something? God's sovereignty does not depend on what kind of day I'm presently having. Whether he is in control or not, doesn't, it, it does not rely upon how blessed or how tragic my day seems to be going. You know, we, we don't need to be uh, uh, drunk uh, as, or, or maybe we could even say spiritually bipolar, but that's the way a lot of us Christians are. When a good thing happens, we're on top of the world and a bad thing's happening. You know what we need to do is we've got to make up our mind that we believe whether or not God is in control. You've got to settle that. And until you settle that, you're going, to be, you're going to be like a drunk spiritually, up and down and up and down. You're going to be like the neighbor. Oh, it's such a blessing. Oh, that's a tragedy. Oh, it's such a blessing. Oh, it's such a tragedy. But God doesn't want us up and down like that. You've got to make up your mind. It may look like it's the end of the world, but even if it's the end of the world, you've got to know who's still in control. You've got to know who's still on the throne. Let me take you to some scripture right here. Quite a few little verses of scripture real quick. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For in God all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I know sometimes we think about the, 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 the plants and animals and that stuff being created. He's talking about powers, rulers, and authorities. All things Thrones have been created through God and for God. He is before all things, or he came, he preceded all things, and in God all things hold together. First Chronicles 29 and, and verse 11. Yours, Lord, yours, Lord, yours, Lord. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours, yours, Lord, yours, Lord, yours, Lord. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. He, you, you've got to make up your mind that you either believe these scriptures or you don't. In the book of Daniel, there's, there's, there's a place there in chapter four and chapter five 
where uh, four different times it uses, it uses the, a Hebrew word, and I, I, you know I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and every once in a while I'll throw a Greek word at you, but I'm definitely not a Hebrew scholar. The, the word is El Elyon, or something like that, okay? Uh, and, and it means most high. It's, it's like that song we were singing just a few moments ago. I assume that if we were been singing it in Hebrew, when we were talking about God in the highest, we would be saying El Elyon, because that, was, that would be the God we were talking about. And, and in Daniel chapter four, and go to the Sunday's page, you can, you can read all the background behind, behind these verses. Verse 17 says, so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign. Uh, you see, sometimes we get real judgmental and, and, and that's the problem. You know, that, that, that proverb, that parable from, from Rabbi Zacharias, at any point, wherever you stop that parable, we're, we're going to judge whether we're blessed overall or we're cursed or in tragedy overall. Wherever we, stop the, wherever we stop the parable, if we don't continue the parable out. And listen, your life isn't over. There's still a tomorrow. There's still gonna be, a, you know, the sun is gonna come up again tomorrow. We're, we're not cursed because we've had a bad day. God hasn't turned his back on us because we've, we've had, had a, a difficult time today. You know, and sometimes those things that, that do happen that are negative to us, they don't happen because we've been bad or because we've been wrong. Sometimes all the stuff that happens is just so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign. So that, that's, that's why these things happen. He is most high, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Wow. And then chapter, verse 25, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 32, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Chapter five, verse 21, the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. It sounds like I'm repeating myself, but it's not me. It's the word of God that is repeating itself over and over and over for us to know. You gotta make up your mind that you know, that you know, that you know that God is in control. He is still on the throne and he gets to choose. It looks like sometimes that God is going away and, and he's sleeping and he's not paying attention, but he is still sovereign over all and he chooses. He even chooses who rules in areas. And then the book of Genesis, Abram uses that same Hebrew word, El Elyon, and uh, in, in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 22. And just like in Daniel, where there's that little parenthetical kind of thrown after it, that, uh, that he's the most high God and he, he owns it all, here also, Abraham, Abram throws a parenthetical after it to kind of explain. He says, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. He did not just create heaven and earth, he still possesses it today. It, it may look like, it may look like you aren't getting what you need and, and it's not gonna happen for you and, and it's all gonna fall apart and, and, and the tragedy is going to happen and, and it is the end of the world. It may look like that for you, but you have to remember, you gotta make up your mind that you know that you know that you know that he still possesses all heaven and all the earth. You know what that means? That means whatever you stand in need of today, he already possesses it. If you need $1,000 to pay a bill, guess what? God already possesses it. If you're sick in body and you need help, guess what? God already possesses it. Whatever, the, whatever your need is in life, God already possesses it. You have to make up your mind. You gotta make up your mind because you know what? Something else is gonna happen tomorrow. I, I, I've, one of the things I've learned as a pastor is we're all in one of three places. 
We're either in the middle of a battle, we just came out of a battle, or we're about to head into a battle. And all of us in that, so you need to make up your mind. Even if, even if life is hunky-dory for you, even if you're really living one of those blessed days or blessed weeks or blessed, or even blessed years, if this has been your year of jubilee, this is a time that you need to take advantage of maybe the respite from the battle and, and make up your mind, you know, store away some of those uh, scriptures that you need and pray the prayer. Make up your mind that you believe and you, you, you fully believe that God is on the throne and he is still in control because I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who sits on the throne. I don't know what the next thing is that's gonna happen to me and my family, but I know who's gonna be on the throne when that thing happens. I don't know I don't know what's going to happen with the election this, 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 this fall. I don't, I don't know which, which party is going to win, but I know, regardless of who the next president of the United States is, I know, regardless of that, I know who sits on the throne that is above every other throne. I don't know. Some of you are worried about that. You know what? If you'll, if you'll just get confident that no matter which president sits in the, in the Oval Office, that God is still on the throne, and you'll get confident in that, you can sleep a little better at night about that election thing, okay? Anyway, and, and I don't know for you, you know, what is the next big announcement at work, whether it's a promotion or a layoff, but you've got to say, I don't know what is next, but I know who is on the throne. You've got to make your mind up with that. And have you done that yet? Do you believe that no matter what, God is on the throne? Do you believe that no matter what happens, God is still in control? You see, until you do, you are the one who is wishy-washy, a doubt, a doubt creeping in, making you up and down, spiritually bipolar, like a drunk. One thing one minute, and another thing in the next. You have to make up your, have you made up your mind? Have you made up your mind? And so let me, let me speak then to those of you who have made up your mind and say, yes, I believe you guys. Then can I say this? Then act like it. Would you act like it then? If you believe God is in control, then act like it. Okay, now back to the movie Apocalypse. You know, uh, when, when, uh, you know, when, uh, uh, they're having to battle him, Professor Xavier and, and Raven. They, they, both have to, uh, they, they both have to work with some, some youngsters. This is kind of a prequel. So the, so the X-Men, are, are they're, they're young guys, and so they're having to work with them. And so they're having to, they're, they're having to teach them. They're having to show them. You know, kind of in the same way, there are some of us, you know, my age, and, and, you know, maybe a little younger than me as well, but older than me definitely as well. If you think about us, come on, think about us, guys. You know, 40-somethings, 50-somethings, above, maybe even some older 30-somethings. We look around and see these 20-somethings, and we see some 40 and 50-somethings that have never been in church, and, and they don't know this thing about spiritual warfare. They have been a victim of spiritual warfare all of their life, but they've never been in the battle. And so, they don't know what, so, so they don't know what it's about. So what do they need? What do they need to see from people like me? Not just at my chronological age, but at my Christian age. What do they need to see from those of us who have been Christians a while? What do they need to see? You know what they need to see? They need to see us acting like God is still on the throne even when we have a bad day. Come on, amen. They need to see us acting like God is still in control even when we've had a bad life. 
they need to see us, you know, not wringing our hands. You know, because, because uh, you know, it's, 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 it's different for everybody. You know, sometimes I think what we do is, is we just look at the youngsters and, you know, when, and when they think it's the end of the world, we just kind of, ah, uh, they ain't got a clue. You know, and, and we don't realize that they still need to see from us. You know, it, it, and, and, I, and I think sometimes for some of us who are a little bit older than the, than the younger Christians, I think sometimes it's, it's easy for us to just pass them off as they just don't, ha- they don't understand yet. But whatever their battle they're facing today, they still need to see how to face the battle. I mean, you know, you look at a 13 or 14 year old today and, and what they think is the end of the world. I said that in the first service and somebody, somebody snickered really, really loud. You know, I, they, must, they must have some teenagers in their house, whoever that was, right? You know, but 20 somethings, you know, the drama, the drama, oh man, drama. You know, some people thought drama ended when you turned 20. Oh no, drama just intensifies a lot of times. And so we, maybe some of us older, we look at those and say, yeah, that just, just that drama stuff and whatever. But I remember my dad was pastoring, and I won't tell you where, this, where the church was that he was pastoring. I remember him telling me about one of his oldest members in his church, because you guys think, you know, all us, all us who've been Christians for a while, we think, yeah, we don't get like that. We don't act like things are the end of the world. We, we, we keep our head about ourselves, you know, and all that, right? My dad said one of his oldest members called him one night. This has been a few years ago. And when dad answered the phone, he said, what's wrong with 911? That's what, the, that's what the voice on the other end of the phone said. Now, what would you do? You would probably think, oh no, <laughs> he's got an end of the world experience going on. He needs 911, he can't get it to work. What's wrong with 911? And so my dad started asking, well, what's wrong, what's wrong? You know, uh, do you need, do you need uh, you know, an ambulance? Do you need me? What, do, do you need me to come right now? And I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, there was a TV program called 911. And uh, this guy, he turned on his TV that night to watch his show, and it wasn't on. And so he didn't know what to do, but he called my dad to say, what's wrong with 911? Sometimes, you know, it's not just the youngsters that uh, have a little problem with the end of the world situations, right? Let me, let me show you an example. This, uh, and, and I've preached quite a few times about Caleb, Spirit of Caleb, Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 14. Uh, the, the entirety, we, we've had to, you know, I've had to just select some phrases to stick up here from these verses to get you to understand. But the entirety of the story is at the Sunday's page, if you want to click there. Here's the story. As Israel is on its way back to the promised land, the land that belonged to them, the land that they, they had left to get food and they'd stayed too long and now they were coming back. And, uh, and so Moses, Moses sends some spies, 12 guys over to just check it out. And Caleb now, years later, is reminding Joshua of that. I was 40 years old when Moses sent me to explore the land. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And so what happened is when the spies came back, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, They said, let's go, let's go. God can give us the land. It's awesome, it's amazing. But there were 10 spies that said, no, no, there's some big people there. There's a lot of them. We can't take the land. And so what Israel did, the nation of Israel, they listened to the 10 that said no instead of the two that said yes. And God said to Caleb, Caleb and Joshua were the two. And God said to Caleb, "The, the land that you've walked on, Today, as you've looked over this land, this land that you've walked on, this hill country that you've walked on, it's going to be yours because you believed me and you returned a good report. 
And so now Caleb's picking the story back up. It says, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since then. Add that together. 40 plus 45. He's 85 years old. He's 85 years old. Okay, now, you know, some of us, some of us who think uh, our, our best days are behind us need to listen. Caleb is 85 years old. So here I am today, 85 years old. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. He is 85 years old. Now, he said he was 40 when he went in to look at the land. And now they, they wandered in the wilderness because Israel rejected God's will and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, that's 80, but he's 85. What did he do for those other five years? If you've been around here a while, you know what I'm about to say, okay? Because what he did was for those five years, you remember the stories of Jericho? You remember the story of Ai, that, that village as well? They were fighting to take back over their property, their land. And what Caleb was doing is he was standing there. Caleb and Joshua, these two 80-something-year-olds, they were surrounded. Everybody else in their generation had died. And they were surrounded by all these young whippersnappers, you know, all these young bucks, you know, 20-something years old, you know, fighting the battles and, and running in and doing all this. And, and then you got these two old geezers, right? And this is what they're doing is they're fighting. And, and the cool thing about it, and this is, this is what I preach over and over, and I've shared this so many times, is the cool thing about it is Caleb knew his, his hill country was promised by God. Mine is, sat, mine is settled, but he was fighting for a younger generation. He was standing toe-to-toe with them. He was standing right there with them, believing that God was going to give them also their promise. And so if you're older as a Christian, I don't mean 85, but I mean if you're just older than some of these younger ones that have just come to know Jesus, our job is, we know that, we're, that our mountain, we know that our promise is secure. Our job is to help them now fight the battles. And even if the battle looks, even if it looks like it's something small and insignificant, they're just making a mountain out of a molehill. Even if it's something like, we still need to help them fight that battle because you had to fight it too. But you know what? He wasn't just fighting in those five years. Come on, here, here's the part I want to tell us, I want to talk to us about. He was being an inspiration. He was inspiring those. Come on, you know, you, you ever work, some of you guys that maybe my age or maybe a little younger, a little older, whatever. Did you ever work with a, people that are a lot younger than you? You know, one of the funnest things to do is to wear them out by trying to keep up with them. You don't have to outwork them. Just keep up with them. Because those 20-somethings, they look around at you and seeing you keep up with, that just makes them go into a higher gear. You know, I, I can imagine fighting those battles in the promised land. Those 20-somethings with, you know, swinging their swords, you know, they're getting tired of thinking, man, I can sure use a break. And they look over there, and there's Caleb, 85 years old. Maybe he's using both hands, but he's still swinging his sword. And they're thinking, I can't let that old man outfight me. And they get another gear. You know, and they, 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 they drum up so, somewhere. They get a little bit more, a little bit more uh, adrenaline or something to go. And they keep fighting, and they fight a little harder. That's exactly what they need. They need some older Christians. And I'm not talking just chronologically. Again, I'm talking about those of us who have been Christians a while. Younger Christians need some of us older Christians to show them how to stay in the fight, how to not get distracted, how to not become the devil's prey. And no matter what the thing is, it looks like it's the end of the world to stand and to stand strong. That's what they need to see. So we need to start acting like we believe God is on the throne. 
You know, I'm, not, I'm, ta- I'm talking to us really another generation, maybe an older generation. I'm talking to those of us who've been Christians. We need to start acting like we believe God is still on the throne. And we need to start talking like he's on the throne. I went back and forth about which one of those to put first. Acting like he's on the throne or talking like. And we need to start talking like he's on the throne. You know, because you think, well, you can talk it before you walk it, a lot of people think. But you know what? Here's what I see a lot. I see a lot of Christians today that put up a good front, act like everything's okay, but when you talk to them, there is no faith whatsoever in their words. They'll tell you how bad it's going about how, how they're struggling. You know, maybe when you first ask them, oh, I'm blessed, but then you say, well, you know, what about that thing? I say, yeah, that's really tough. Or that's really, when you start talking, like we believe God is on the throne. That's why when we were singing that song just a few moments ago, I, I, I just started saying it. I declare that freedom reigns in this place. Some of you need to declare that in your home. I declare that freedom reigns in that. Some of you need to declare that in your personal lives because there's some bondage. You need to declare. We need to start talking like we believe God is still in control. All right, I told you a story about an 85-year-old man. Now let me tell you a story about some teenagers because they're not left out. You know, you know uh, in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, <clears throat> there's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has uh, made this big, huge idol, and he says, everybody's got to bow down to my idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are, they're Jews. They worship Jehovah. Jehovah's one God. They can't, they can't bow down to an idol, so they don't bow down. The king's told of that. He says, bring them here. They come there, and the king says, says guys, you've got to bow down to the idol, or we're going to burn you alive. And you know what they say? They say this right here. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful. Man, I love that. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, the word careful there, the Hebrew word that is there, it means like Necessity, You know, like a care that you have, you know, that you care about something or you have a care in your life, a need, it's a necessity. So here's what they're saying. They're kind of saying, Nebuchadnezzar, we didn't really deem it necessary to put an answer together for you on this. You see, here's what a lot of us do. We've got to know the end of the story before we can have faith that God's in control, right? Come on. Stepping on my toes now, Pastor. You know, here's what they're saying is, you know, we hadn't really even thought this thing out yet about what's going to happen. We, we didn't deem it necessary to tell you or to, to get, come up with an answer for you. Do you know why they had not even thought about having an answer for the, for the king, for King Nebuchadnezzar? You know why? Because they had already given an answer to a king that sits on a much higher throne than the one that was standing before them that day. And when you have answered to that king, you don't have to worry about any other kings. When you say the right thing to that king, when you speak the right, when you talk like he is still in control, then you don't have to worry about the rest of the kings. Now, I know some of you want to say, well, let's read the rest of the story. I'm not going to read you the rest of the story. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. Some of you know it. Probably a lot of you know what the rest of the story is. And yes, it is a, it is a, a, a miracle. It is a victory. It is a win. It is vindication for these three guys that, that served God, served Jehovah. Yes, it is all those things. But you know, growing up, I, I don't know how many times I've heard this story preached. I've been in church all my life. I don't know how many times I've heard this story preached. And, and we always want to get to the end 
Let's get to that because, man, I got to have some hope that I'm getting out of this thing. You know, and we read the story and we read, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure this verse was read in countless sermons that I've heard preached over my life, but I've never really heard this verse preached. And then one day after I felt led to enter the ministry, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I remember, I thought I had a personal epiphany. I thought nobody had ever seen this verse like this. Oh, you know, it was almost like I thought, wait, who added this to my Bible? That wasn't in all these sermons I had heard before. You know why? Because we focused on their worship, how they wouldn't worship the idol because they worship God. We focused on their obedience and we focused on the deliverance. But you know what? I never really heard anybody focus on the words that they said. Never heard that before. And, it, and so I looked at it and thought about it, thought about it. And they're saying, they're saying we're, not, we're, we're not needful of giving an answer for this yet. We hadn't thought about it yet. You know, give us a minute. We'll try to come up with something maybe. But we hadn't even thought about giving you an answer. Why? Because we don't answer to you after we've already answered to God. And, and they, were, they were speaking those things and, and they were saying those things. And, and, and what, what we do so many times is we want to jump to the end and we want to read the end of the story so we can get some inspiration. But the problem is you don't just need the inspiration to know that it might be okay in the end. What you need is you need to understand the, 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 the steps that it takes sometimes to get to the end. And so we need to be careful. Don't skip over anything. Because if you skip over anything to get to the end, you will never, even though you may read the end of the story, even though you may enjoy the end of the story, even though you may, uh, may just relish it and be encouraged and inspired by the end of the story, if you skip over the steps, you will never personally live the end of the story that is the victory God wants to give you in your life. And the first thing you've got to do is you've got to decide, is God on the throne? And then you've got to start acting like it, and talking like it. Can I ask you to join me down front? If you're a first-time attender, we'd like to close down front with a final prayer and a final song and, and uh, just let you know that, that if you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Join us if you're comfortable. Please, please, by all means. One last little thing I want to share with you and I want to have a word of prayer with you. Jamie will lead us in a final song. My intent right here was to ask you, how many of you have ever had your world shaken? Anyone? Anybody ever had their world shaken? You know what that means? You know, like we've been praying over a young man who had a contract to play professional sports. And a little over a week ago, he had an accident, crushed both ankles, he'll never play sports again. That's world shaking. I didn't know about it, uh, hadn't seen the news today. But I was told between services about the terrorist attack, in Orlando, 40-something people dead, 40-something people injured. That's world-shaking. And then there was another young lady, I think a separate incident in Orlando as well, though. Just here. That's world-shaking. Someone was talking the other day about getting a phone call, and the first words on the other end of the phone were, are you sitting down? Doesn't matter who is on the other end of the phone, that's world-shaking. If it's the doctor, if it's the policeman, that's world shaking. You ever had your world shaken? Some of you are having your world shaken right now. It's not the end of the world. It's not. 
But even if it is, God is still on the throne. There is coming an end of the world day for some of your relationships. There is coming an end of the world for some of you and your finances. There's coming an end of the world for your life. We're all gonna die. You younger ones, you don't know, you're gonna get old like the rest of us and you're gonna die too, okay? We're all gonna die. There's coming, that day is coming for every one of us. And you know what? There is actually a day coming where this world, there is an end of the world day coming to this world. It's gonna happen. And you know, the only, the only thing, the only consolation, the only strength, the only peace, the only joy you can have knowing that is that you also know who sits on the throne and after this world has ended, who will still be in control. So let me ask you this. And listen, I feel more faith today to pray over people with their world shaking than I feel like God has just, God has just stirred that in me this week a faith to believe with those. And this prayer team is ready to pray with you. I am really, I am really asking you, please, this is a day, this is a day. This, it, this may feel like an end of world day to you in some areas. Or you may be like, hey, everything's going pretty good with me. But this is a day for you to ask God and for God to speak and do something amazing in your life. Let me, let me show you this, this, these verses of scripture and we're gonna have a word of prayer. But I want to really encourage you to please step forward. In, jo- in James chapter 1, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Now, um, he's talking about asking God for wisdom, okay? But in the next few verses, even though he's talking about asking for God, he, he's showing us something about the nature of God, okay? So this is not just about wisdom. This is about God. It's not just about that one prayer need. This is about God. You should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault? And what that means there is is God's not going to rebuke you for asking. He's not looking for an out to say, you know what? I would do that for you. But you remember the other day when you told that little white lie? Not going to do it for you. That's not what that says. That says he does not look to find fault. He's not going to rebuke you for asking. So ask and, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Spiritually bipolar. The one who doubts. Ah, blessed day. Ah, tragedy. Blessed day, tragedy. If you doubt, you got, you got to get rid of the doubt. Now listen, even the disciples said, Lord, we have faith, but, but help us with our doubt. They had to keep pushing. You got to push that doubt down. It doesn't say that it doesn't start to creep in. You got to push it just like any other temptation. You got to push that down because uh, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because this thing is about faith, guys. You got to act like, live like, talk like, pray like you believe God is in control. And when you do, this is what happens. He says he will. He gives generously. He doesn't rebuke. He's not looking for an out. He's not looking for an excuse to not bless you. He is looking for a reason to bless you. And the only reason you need to give him is your faith. 
And somebody here today needs some. How many, is there somebody, uh, not, not is there. How many of you need some God to do something amazing in your life? Raise your hand with me. I've got my hand up. I need God to, then listen, yeah. If you raise your hands, you need to let, you need to let one of these prayer team members pray with you because this week God has stirred a faith in me. And I'm believing he's done it in this prayer team as well. He has stirred a faith in me to pray and believe that you are going to receive what you need today. And so if